Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Summer at the Movies is uh, our sermon series, and so we are uh, starting this up for the next few weeks, and who doesn't love a good summer movie, right? Like, you get to go to the drive-ins, it's nice, um, you know, you get, maybe, maybe you set up a projector outside in your yard, and you hang out, and it's just beautiful. We love Summer at the Movies, and so this, uh, you know, for the next few weeks, we will be going through um, some movie clips and, uh, you know, sharing some, some biblical, you know, truth and all that good stuff. Um, and we're just excited for it. But so our, uh, our senior pastors, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Robin, they are um, officially on sabbatical. They are taking some rest, some well-earned rest. Um, as of this week, they start and they'll be gone for the next few weeks. And so you'll hear a whole collage of speakers, including every single one of our staff pastors. You'll hear from me a few times. Um, but so basically, I just want to let you know there's a poll that's online. You can rank the pastors by their sermon, uh, you know, like how good they are. So, you know, if Pastor Caleb just comes in just a, to, you know, just a notch of a Pastor Jesse, let us know. Give us some feedback. I'm joking with all this. Uh, there's not a poll online. Um, that would hurt our feelings. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to be the bottom of the pastoral totem pole, right? You know what I mean? Like, no one wants to know that they're the worst speaker in the church. So, um, with that being said, though, uh, we are, are starting up this, and we're excited. Um, I think you guys are going to have some awesome speakers. So, let's go ahead and let's get into talking about summer at the movies. And we are talking about truth today. Everybody say truth. Truth. You're going to hear me say the word truth a whole lot today, all right? And so in preparation for this sermon, um, I read the entire book of John in about not very long. It, you know, it, it's not a super long book. And basically what I did is I wrote down notes on all the times in which I saw the word truth being mentioned, or I saw Jesus speak a truth. So it could be like a statement that was a truth-based statement that either someone had a positive or negative or however they reacted to it, right? And I saw continuous trends for the word truth throughout the book of John. Um, and so we are going to look at some of those patterns that I saw today. But um, we are going to start with our core text. So if everybody would stand up in honor of God's word, we're going to read this out together. This is our core verse because this is how we know what truth is. All right, so let's go ahead and read this together. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I am the way, the truth, and life. That is the statement that is this whole thing is based around. When you're confused in life, there's so many truth statements that we see in our world and in our culture today. Everybody wants a piece of it, and there's so much false information that is being shared all over social media and all over your job and all over this world. How are we supposed to know what's truth and what's not truth? Well, Jesus says it right here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. And so when we're talking about truth today, I want everything that you think about to be focused on the fact that Jesus is the truth. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through this message um, and that we would realize that you are the truth and that uh, that would be something that just comes within our hearts and uh, we would accept that. Jesus, thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Cool, you may be seated. All right, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Um, now, we see a whole lot of responses to truth uh, throughout Scripture, but I also see a whole lot of responses to truth when people encounter truth. You ever met someone who, like, they just do not handle truth well? Like, they deny, 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 maybe they walk away. And then there's other people in your life where when you tell them like a piece of truth, they like soak it in like a sponge. They apply it to their life. Like they are people who are just so ready to learn, right? And we, so we have this, this difference of people. Um, and I want to say that truth is not always pretty. Truth is not always something that you want to accept. Truth is not always something that you, uh, you want to hear about. And so sometimes it's easier to avoid the truth or it feels easier to avoid the truth than it is to actually embrace the consequences of said truth. Does this make sense, everybody? So there was a poll that was actually done with 1,300 participants from the ranges, uh, from different age ranges, uh, you know, both male and female, different ages, and they basically wanted to test which generation lies the most. Which generation lies the most? And I know some of you are already probably thinking, and we're going to do a, sh a, you know, a show of hands of who you think it is. So, if you think, oh, by the way, this is specifically in the workplace. I'm going to say some of the stats later, but so specifically in the workspace and on social media, who lies the most? So go ahead and raise your hand if you think it's the boomers that lied the most in this poll, that lied the most in this poll. All right, we got a handful, handful. All right, only raise your hand once, please. All right, what if you think that it is Gen X? Do you think Gen X are the biggest liars in this poll? All right, handful more hands. I see some more hands. Okay, what do you think? Millennials were the biggest liars. <laughs> we see uh, my teenage row up here is like, yeah, those millennials. You know. All right, definitely more hands on that one. And then, what about Gen Z? If you think Gen Z were probably the biggest liars. All right, a few less. I was probably tied with that uh, Gen X. All right. So, drum roll, please. The biggest liars according to this poll are. Drum roll. Come on. Millennials were the biggest liars. Millennials were the biggest liars, yep. So I'm not saying that this goes for everybody, obviously, but in this poll, they were. So millennials actually, uh, a third of millennials admitted to lying on their resume. Lying on their resume. I have literally seen things that are like, put false, um, put false like past jobs and then just put your friends down and then have them lie. Like I've literally seen videos that like talk about this, right? And they're like, ah, who cares about references? It's like a lot of people care about references, all right? Um, so if you're doing that, you, you might want to stop. Um, but also two in, in five millennials also admitted to lying to their boss, and I quote, to avoid embarrassment in the workplace. Two in five admitted to lying to their boss to avoid embarrassment. And this brings up like a question, why, is, why are the consequences of truth embarrassing, right? Often it's because it highlights our failure. It highlights when we're wrong, it highlights the things that we do that were incorrect. Um, maybe we didn't follow through with the, the job that we were supposed to do, maybe we didn't do it well, maybe we, you know, didn't meet our deadlines or whatever it is, and you make up excuses and you lie in order to try and avoid the truth. And what I want you guys to understand today is that this is not just in our workplace, but this is just across our world. And it also happens in, our, in Scripture as well, where people cannot handle the truth. 
They don't want, they don't want it in their life. They don't want it applied to them. They don't want it, and it's hard to handle sometimes. So, with that being said, here is our movie clip talking about truth. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The court will wait for an answer. If Lieutenant Kendrick gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, then why did he have to be transferred? Colonel? Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, be you cut cases. these guys loose! Your Honor, you had markers inside a phony transfer! Your Honor, you doctored the logbook! Damn it, Captain! You coerced the doctor! Consider yourself in contempt! Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! What a beautiful, beautiful scene to an awesome movie. Um, I had to cut out some choice words on both sides if you've ever seen the movie. Um, I made it the PG version right there, but you know, I would say I watched that as like a teenager on cable with my dad, um, and I loved the movie. And you know how like cable movies when you, you would like jump in 30 minutes into the movie and you're like, I don't know what happened already, but I'm liking this so far. You know what I mean? I never had known what the original like beginning was until I watched it by myself, you know, a few years ago. But anyways, Few Good Men is the movie and it is just an awesome, awesome movie. Um, and so basically what's happening in that scene is there were a few Marines, there were two of them, who um, were given something called a code red, which was basically a harassment, which ended up killing uh, the person that they were trying to harass. And it was something that was ordered for them to do. And they were taking the blame. And so uh, Tom Cruise, he's playing a lawyer. And that lawyer is um, going after the, the general and basically saying, uh, you, you know, you ordered the code red. And the general is saying, you can't handle the truth of what I'm about to tell you. And basically he says like, you don't want to know what I have to do in order to keep our country safe. You don't know, you know, that boy's death saved lives and all this kind of stuff. And basically what he's trying to say is the truth is so harsh that you can't handle it. And so my question to you today is this, can you handle the truth? Right? We talked about it in John 14 already. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so my question, once again, this is going to be ongoing, can you handle the truth? Can you handle the truth when it feels like judgment and hate? Can you, feel, can you handle the truth when it comes from someone you love or someone that you despise? Can you handle the truth when it's something you agree with or something that you disagree with? Now, I have to tell you that this book right here is full of truth. It's full of truth. And that truth is countercultural very often. And it is things that can be very offensive if you believe the truth of this world. And what I want you, what I want to ask you today is, can you handle the truth that is spoke about in this book? And we're going to look at how people reacted to the truth. Now, I do want to say this, is that truth doesn't change depending on circumstance or audience. Truth does not change depending on circumstance or audience. It is so easy for us to be swayed by opinions of other people who, honestly, they don't want the truth themselves, right? Have you ever been in a situation in which you feel the need to dull down what the truth is because you're afraid of offending or hurting somebody? Now, I'm not saying be harsh. I'm not saying be mean. But in the moment, you feel the need to like, well, if I tell them everything, like, they're not going to like me. They're going to walk away. It's really going to hurt them. 
I get that, but like, as the person receiving the truth, should, would it, wouldn't you prefer someone to be able to say, I can tell Zach the full truth and he handles it and he applies it well? Wouldn't you rather that happen? Right? Right, Zach? Would you rather that be spoke about you or say like, I can't say a word to Zach. I can't even confront him because he's just going to go cry about it. Do you want that, Zach? No, those muscles, they're not meant for crying. I'm just joking. All right. Um, all right. Here's, here's some truths of life. If you jump off a 10-story building, you're going to fall and you're going to die. All right. You're going to hit that ground and it's not going to be forgiving. Right? 10-story building, which direction are you going? Down. All right. What about this? You can't breathe underwater. You can't breathe underwater. That is a truth. If you try to inhale water, it will get inside your lungs and it will kill you. If Mike Tyson punches you in the face, it's going to do damage and it might even kill you. Right? Are these facts? Yes, these are facts. Now, I know what's going on in some of your brains. Some of you are thinking, well, if I have a parachute when I jump off that 10-story building, I'm good. The exception does not change the truth. It actually it actually pushes for the truth. Because here's the thing, if you don't have that parachute, you're still going down, you're still smacking that ground real hard. Uh, can, you, can you breathe underwater? No. Can you use scuba gear and, and use a gear to allow you to breathe under, underwater? Yes, absolutely. Once again, though, the circumstance uh, with that exception does not change the truth that you cannot breathe underwater. Otherwise, you wouldn't need that scuba gear. Does that make sense? Mike Tyson, I could put on a football helmet and, you know, a mouth guard and padding. He still might absolutely destroy. Actually, he's, he would still destroy me. Don't get me wrong. But like, will that help me? Absolutely. But that helmet does not change the fact that his punch is going to do damage. So once again, I want to say that like in your brain, you're consistently trying to make exceptions for the truth, because it's so hard to handle. We all do it constantly. I do it constantly, right? Uh, there, there's times in which I'm like, man, I just, I, I don't, I, I'm mad at my wife today. So even though I'm supposed to do the dishes, I'm just not going to because she doesn't deserve it. I'm making an exception in that moment for the truth. That is my job is to do the dishes. I'm trying to allow myself to avoid the truth. And that's so selfish of me. And how often do you do that? How often do we do that, right? The exceptions don't break the rule. They actually enforce the fact that the truth is the truth. And how many of us go through life trying to find exceptions to the rules of truth instead of just simply embracing the truth and changing our direction? How many of us go through life without embracing the truth when all we have to do is just go and flow with it? and allow the change to happen, because the change is going to happen when you embrace truth. I promise you this. So today we're going to look at two different types of people that I found in John and how they reacted when they were confronted with the truth. So first we're going to be talking about the positive responses. All right, positive responses. Now, there was a list of about that short, all right, that short of people who, when they heard Jesus' truth, they took it and then they embraced it and they, and they changed their lives, right? And there was a list of about that long of people who saw the truth, heard the truth, and walked away from it or had a negative reaction. But today I want to highlight right now the positive response, specifically those of, um, of Nicodemus. Have you guys ever heard of Nicodemus? All right, so we'll, we'll talk through his story, but I just want to say 
the positive responses, I'm just going to give you guys a little, you know, a little hint. They created impacting waves of power that were so beyond the person's understanding that there's no way they could have understood what happened. Have you guys ever uh, been in like, have you ever seen a no-wake zone in like a harbor? You ever seen a no-wake zone? What does that mean? You're not allowed to go past a certain speed limit because then the weight comes off, these waves come off the boats and they cause damage. I saw a video not too long ago of a boat that was trying to beat a bridge as it was going down. They were trying to speed up and they were really speeding up in this canal. And once they got through, the video shows the boat go through and then about three to four seconds later, the wake hits and there's so much power with the wake that it's literally breaking boats up against the dock. And people are like screaming, like, you need to slow down. You know, they're like yelling at them. They're calling for the Coast Guard because literally this boat created so much damage and it didn't even realize it when it was going through. And there's so much power that comes when we have a positive response to scripture. And we're going to see that positive response out of Nicodemus today. So John 3 is where we're going to find ourselves uh, for a majority of this right now. But so John 3, 1. So it starts off. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a good teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, what I want you guys to understand is the fact that Nicodemus is part of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, right? He is someone who is in high authority. He has power. You guys realize this, right? He has power, all right? And he goes to Jesus at night because this council wants to kill Jesus, right? So he goes to Jesus at night and says, I know that you are from God. I know you have power. I know that you could not just be some random person and have these powers. They must be from God. And this is Jesus' response. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now this confuses Nicodemus, right? He says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, I was 10 pounds, 2 ounces as a baby. And that, let's just say there was some pain for my mother, right? Could you imagine me now? I get where his confusion is, right? Like, this would, this would kill my mother. Like, uh, all the mothers in this room are like, please, Lord, do not let my 7-year-old go back in my womb. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I get his confusion, but Jesus is not talking about um, a physical, literal, you know, rebirth, right? And so what Jesus is doing is he's expressing the way to see the kingdom of God. He's expressing the way to see the kingdom of God. And they, they go on, they talk more. Um, and what I want you guys to understand is that Nicodemus here, he is higher ranked than Jesus, right? I said he was part of the Jewish ruling council. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He has power. And this guy who is obviously has some power from God and because he recognizes that himself, Nicodemus recognizes that himself, but he could have just taken the nature of Jesus's conversation and then just shrugged it off as something that he didn't understand and something that he didn't want to know about. Uh, Jesus actually challenges him at one point during this text and actually calls him out and says, aren't you a leader? Shouldn't you know these things? How, how can you be unaware of these teachings as a Jewish leader? And once again, Nicodemus has the option to take these shots that Jesus has given him, basically these corrections, and he has the option of walking away. What 
and being offended and just saying like, oh, it's just fool's talk and just walking away. But he doesn't do that. He actually takes the corrections and what we see is we see change happen from this interaction. So that brings us to our, our next portion, which is the change portion. John 7, 50 through 51 says this. This is the second time that Nicodemus has been mentioned now. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, so this is uh, in the Sanhedrin, it's with the Jewish ruling council, Nicodemus speaks up and says this when they're talking about um, charging Jesus and, and trying to basically kill him, right? Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? So he doesn't stand right up and proclaim in a loud voice, I'm a Jesus follower. This is stupid. He doesn't do that. But he does stand up for Jesus. Do you guys recognize this? He is literally voicing to the Sanhedrin that their behaviors are wrong and that they're going about these things the wrong way. He's challenging the people who want to kill Jesus and actually defending Jesus. And I have a question for you, but how many times does God need to bail you out before you're ready to defend him? How many times does God need to pull through for you before you're ready to defend him? How many times does God consistently need to show himself to you before you're ready to finally accept that he is the one God who is above all? Now, I can take a whole lot of things in my life. I can take a whole lot of insults. I can take a whole lot of, I don't know, just random crap. You can punch me in the face. It's happened before. Wouldn't be the first time. I, I can take it. Uh, except maybe Pete. If Pete hit me, probably not. Um, but with that being said, uh, I, have, I have a limit for how much I can take. And that limit is not with me. You can insult me. You can insult my church, if we're being honest. You can insult this church. You can ins insult the country. All right? That doesn't mean I like it. You can insert my political views. You can, in, or you can insult fi my financial beliefs, anything. But I will not allow you to insult my wife, my daughter, or my Jesus. And your priorities might look different. But that is where I've drawn the line. You will not insult my wife, my daughter, or my Jesus. And so we, uh, we were on a cruise not too long ago. And... I was really seasick, like really seasick, not good. And the only thing that was helping me was being up on like the top deck and just like chilling. And then I found out that if I went into the hot tub, the water, like floating in the water kind of helped me a little bit. And so at one point I'm sitting in the hot tub, not feeling good. And I have four people from Atlanta. Uh, they, you know, they were a little tipsy. Let's be honest. It's a cruise. So they come and they're sitting in the hot tub and we're talking just about anything. Um, you know, my job did not come up in this conversation, but many other things came up. We were just having a conversation. One of the guys, he was, he's very much a gay guy. Um, we were talking about soccer and we were talking all these things and that, that's important for later. And so while we're talking, it's a friendly conversation. Then these two women came in um, and you know how some women are just not nice? Let's just be honest. Some women are just like, they're just mean. Like, I don't know. Like, it's like everything. They just want to sap the positive. Like, they don't want people to be happy around them. Everything is like negative with them. 
That's who these two women were, and they were drunk on top of it, right? So they could not keep their trap shut for the life of them, okay? So I'm sitting in this hot tub feeling sick, by the way, right? I'm like, if I wasn't, in, like, if I didn't have to be here, I would not be here, right? And they want to have every like triggering conversation under the sun, right? They want to talk about politics with presidents and gun control, and, and they want to talk about abortion, and they want to talk about, um, I don't know, literally every single thing. Like, I kept my mouth shut. Let's just say that. I kept my mouth shut because A, they're drunk. B, I can just tell who these kind of people are, right? I'm, I'm not going to say anything that's going to get... And honestly... None of those things have crossed my line. Does that make sense? Like, you can, you can insult a whole lot of things, and none of them have crossed my line yet. So they're talking about everything. At one point, um, they're, they're speaking about church, and they are giving some hate to the church and, you know, that kind of stuff, just the church in general. And like I said, I, I kept my mouth shut. They didn't know I was a pastor. Um, and at one point, the one woman, it goes from church hate to Jesus hate. And the moment I feel the conversation shift was the moment I spoke up, basically. And basically, she had said, I don't even remember what it was, she had said something off, offhand about, what I do know is I was, a, I was a bit offended by it. Not personally, but I was offended that you're talking about my Jesus that way. And basically what I did is I countered her point, and I said, well, that's not actually true. This is this, this fact, this fact, this fact. It's a very, very short conversation. She actually dropped the conversation after I brought it up and then they moved on, uh, which I was like, okay, cool. Um, and I could kind of tell it was a little awkward because the first time I had really spoken up to do it was a defense of Jesus. And I think they kind of had an understanding of like, maybe this guy doesn't agree with everything that we agree with. And I was like, that's fine. You can, you can say what you want, right? You're just not gonna talk about Jesus that way. So later on, I, I walked away and I was like, feeling a little disheartened because I was like, should I have said something sooner? Should I have said something at different spots? Like, should I have spoken my beliefs? Like, I, I don't know if that was just my one moment and my wife, love my wife, she is full of wisdom. She's not here, so don't tell her I said that. I can compliment her, you know. Um, she is right occasionally. And uh, in this moment, she was, she was right. But she said, because I said to her, I said, would Paul have sat there and taken that? Would the Apostle Paul have sat there and listened to them talk about church and listened to them talk about the things that are so backwards, in my opinion, would he have sat there and listened to it? And my wife in her wisdom says, are you the Apostle Paul? And I was like, no. She's like, you're not even the Apostle Matt. No, she didn't say that. But <laughs> so Basically, she says, are you the Apostle Paul? I said, no. And she goes, okay, then don't expect to be. Did you speak up when you, need to, when you needed to speak up? And I said, yes. And she goes, okay, then you're good. And right there, they kind of like recentered me. And I was like, I spoke up when I needed to speak up. And actually, it shut down the conversation. And I did exactly what I needed to do in the moment. And what I wanted to just say, this, that whole story, is it's not like, there's been times in my life in which I have not spoken up when I needed to speak up in moments like that. But I want to ask you, are you willing to do that? I know sometimes it's so hard to say like in the moment, yes, I will, or no, I won't. 
But the more you think about it, the more you process through it, are you willing to speak up and defend the God that you are sitting here claiming to worship? The God who has given you blessings and who is all-powerful, and, and we're talking about the fact that he is the great I am, right? We're declaring that you are the God above all things, yet I won't speak up because it might make the situation a little awkward. Are you willing to do that? And if you are, then great. If you're not, I would encourage you to reprioritize and rethink about what are the statements, what are things that are no-go zones for you? And I really want you to become affiliated with the things that, I don't know, like if you're uncomfortable because you don't think you have the knowledge, then get the knowledge. It's really not that difficult. Go study, go get more knowledge, and then the next time you're confronted, you have the knowledge. Do that, right? There's no excuse for it. There's no excuse for the truth. So, Nicodemus not only defended the, the people, but it also, once again, or Nicodemus not only defended Jesus to the Sanhedrin, but it also changed the way that he outlooked life. And so we see in John 19, 38 through 39, it says, later, Joseph of Arimathea, earlier, I mispronounced this, and I said, Ari, no, I, I, what did I say? Arimathea, or whatever I did. And then I proceeded to, say the entire, I was like, jo, Joseph, Pilate, the, I don't know, it, it's kind of lost its luster a little bit because it didn't happen here live for the service. Let's just say I said the name right, Arimathea. That's good. All right. Let's just keep moving. I'm sorry. <laughs> Chasing squirrels, not always beneficial. Sometimes it makes the moment, sometimes it doesn't. We're just going to keep moving. So later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate, Pilate, for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Christ, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Now, notice that Joseph here fears the, he fears the uh, leaders, the Jewish leaders, yet he still acts, right? So he wasn't, he didn't get up and, and preach in a loud voice that this was wrong, but he did act and he took the body away. But who do we see here with him? He was accompanied by say it. Nicodemus. So this is the third time that we've seen him. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, um, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Let's just say that was some money that he spent on that stuff, or that was some money that people spent on it. So we see Nicodemus being confronted by truth in John 3. Then later on, we see him stand up for Jesus. Then we see the follow-through after he's just literally watched his Messiah be crucified and put to death. And he's still acting on the things that Jesus has taught, which would be generosity and loving of your neighbor. Do you guys see this? Even after he's watched the death of the one who he thought he's supposed to conquer and, and be the, the king, and now he's dead. He still followed through with generosity and love. That's really cool to me, and it shows change. We see that the truth that Jesus shared to him changed his life, and he's also credited with the bearing of Jesus. He didn't just hear the truth, he accepted it and allowed it to change his life. So let's talk about some people who did not allow for the message of truth to be positive. So let's talk about the negative responses, all right? So those who responded in a negative way, 
that I saw were typically afraid of repercussions or they just, they were so locked in with their viewpoints that they were blinded to the truth. You ever know someone like that? They're so locked in, I am so right, that they are totally blinded to all the other facts on the other side. I've met some people like that. I myself have been that person, right? I, I hope we can all acknowledge the fact that sometimes we allow our personal, our personal stance to get in the way of the truth, right? And that's what these people allowed to happen. And so uh, there's a whole list, but I want to bring up the, this one specifically. John 6, 60. All right, so Jesus says the truth to them. All right, he, he gives a teaching. And John 6, 60 says this. On hearing it, many of his, his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, these are the same disciples who have seen miracles done, right? They've seen blind, uh, blind people see. They've seen the lame walk. They've seen thousands of people being fed. Yet, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And six verses later, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They turned back and no longer followed him because it was a hard teaching. They had a negative response to the truth. They could have changed their direction. And what I actually love about this is later on, Jesus actually turns to the 12 and says, are you guys not going as well, basically? And Peter says, we know that you're the Messiah. Who else would we follow? And right there, we see Peter's taking a stance and saying, we know the truth, and the truth is going to change us. And you know what? Peter still failed. Peter still denied Jesus. But then he later on became one of the most important and useful people in the entire uh, church history. So anyways, these disciples heard Jesus' message. They acknowledged that it was hard, and then they left then they left. So here's the point that I want to bring up with, with the positive and negative responses, is that you choose how you will react when confronted with truth. You choose how you will react when you're confronted with truth. Are you going to walk away? Are you afraid of the repercussions? Is it too hard for you to soak in? And so you're just going to walk away from it. Are you going to embrace the correction of Jesus' truth? John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you want to have a relationship with God? Then you need to accept the truth that is Jesus. Nicodemus embraced the correction, and because of him, we get one of the most known scripture verses in the entire world. I don't know if you guys, what, what, when, I, when I say the most known scripture verse in the entire world, what would you guys think? John 3.16, I heard it from multiple people. Uh, I, have, I have some, some pictures of, oh, actually, yeah, let's read it out. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Some of you know that by heart. Some of you have seen it before, right? What you probably didn't know about John 3, 16 was the fact that this is the verse that takes place directly after the first conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus' first conversation with Nicodemus in John 3, they're talking, they're talking about being born again, they're talking about what it takes to be salvation, and as soon as Jesus is done talking, this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, without Nicodemus, we may not have the most influential verse in scripture. Do you guys realize that? 
And when I say influential, I literally mean influential. Let's, let's see some photos. So you ever seen a billboard that has John 3.16? I've seen billboards all over the place. All right, there's also, oh, Keith Urban, literally a country singer, all right, mentions John 3.16 because it's so deeply ingrained, right? We know it. In-N-Out Burgers is a Christian-owned company and they have John 3.16 on the bottom of their cups, right? We see John 3.16 all over the place. John 3.16, we see it on hats that are very poorly designed and ugly, right? Uh, <laughs> all right, but still, we see it. And do you have that picture of uh, Tim Tebow? No, Tim Tebow uh, was also, he's not the only one, but there's been lots of athletes who under their you know, paint, they would put John 3.16, or I know, I know some other athletes that have done that on wristbands. Um, I know that we have a whole bunch of things in this life that have John 3.16, it's like a trademark for it. And what I want you guys to understand is that one of the most influential verses of our world and of our culture, at least here in America, comes from a story of Nicodemus accepting the truth and moving forward with it. He could have been offended. He could have walked away. But instead, what he does is he embraced the truth. And because of that, we get John 3.16. Does this make sense to you guys? So once again, I ask you, can you handle the truth? Can you handle the truth? And my second question is, how do you want to handle the truth? How do you want to handle the truth? Do you want to to take the teachings of Jesus? Do you want to read something from scripture and be so offended by it that you walk away in ignorance? Or do you want to take the truths of Jesus and walk away and have your life and countless other lives be changed for the glory of God? Some people in this room, you have confessed that Jesus is Lord over your life, yet you are not acting on it. You are not willing to publicly defend the truth of Jesus. I'm here to tell you, you need to step up. Other people in this room, you have never, ever in your life said that Jesus is Lord over your life and you are ignoring the truth that is found in scripture. You're ignoring the truth of this life that Jesus was God sent to, sent to this earth and died for you and forgiveness is, and salvation are literally just reaching out your hand, taking it. Other people in this room, you have embraced the truth of Jesus and maybe you just need a little bit of a realignment. With all these different things, I don't want you to just be left hanging here. So we have, and we have a prayer team over here. If any of those things that I brought up today, maybe you're just not embracing the truth, maybe you're not defending the truth, or maybe you've never even accepted the truth in the first place. If any of those things fit you, um, when, when I have everybody stand, you can go ahead and make your way up here and, and, and speak to them. Uh, but what we're going to do is all together as a body, we are going to worship the one true God because true is what, like, I don't even know how to describe it. I was, I was healed at church camp this past, last week. I've never felt anything like it before. Um, I hurt my back really, really bad. Um, and I had a whole bunch of students pray for me that night nothing. I was in pain all sleep, like while I was sleeping. It was in my back. It was shooting down my leg, going into my heel. I was limping everywhere. Our students can literally attest to it. Like they saw me barely able to walk. I was having to get golf cart rides. I was in so much pain. Um, they prayed for me that night. The next morning I had other leaders pray for me. They're like, Hey, bend down, see how it feels. I would bend down total pain still. Like it was awful. Almost 24 hours of pain. 
Then we go to do something called Tire Wars, which is an absolute battle for tires. And I know myself and I cannot give 10% of me. I wanna give my all, right? And I know that I'm trying, I'm gonna have to be lifting muddy tires out of wet mud. And I'm just thinking, Lord, you gotta help me out with this. And I ate lunch and some other people prayed for me. It was like constant, just anointing and prayer. It was constant. And basically what happened was, by the time I got ready to be up on the platform to wave our flag for our team, I had no pain. And that pain has not come back, like at all. There wasn't like some big like fire that struck my back and all of a sudden I was good. It was just all of a sudden I went from excruciating pain to I'm eating lunch and I get up and I'm like, I don't feel any pain. I'm not walking with a limp anymore. For me to deny the truth of God is to deny the healing that happened to my back. And for you to deny the truth that is Jesus is to deny the blessings that have already happened to you and the things that will happen to you in the future. So will everybody stand up with me? We're gonna sing a song talking about the glory of God, but I want you to come up and speak to our prayer team if one of those truths fit you. So if that fits, you can do that after I'm done praying. So Jesus, I pray that we would accept the truth that you have for us and that it would change our hearts and it would change our world and that we would re-envision how we handle the truth. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.